Yes, the fundamental nature of sales conversations and executive communication has changed, and dramatically so. The best response for you and your business is not just a tactical one. Today, we're joined again by Tim Pollard, a consultant and best-selling author on message design and message delivery. There's a lot to learn about selling, fundraising, and leading in this new environment. So let's talk about it on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help business professionals, association members, entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most growth opportunities. That means improvements in revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. I do that through consulting, professional speaking, and advisory work. When you visit my website, jimcar.com, you'll find examples of speaking topics as well as testimonials and recommendations from clients across a number of businesses and industries. You'll also find a number of free resources covering the three foundational components for managing your message. First, there's the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into a competitive advantage. If you're open to a simple guide for getting started, especially a free one that will not prompt any cheesy follow-up messages, then I would be happy to share with you five steps for managing your growth message. It's a PDF with a few prompting questions that will help you to, in this order, one, identify the business value you want to create, two, get your message ready, three, prepare the messengers, four, reinforce effective management habits, and five, prioritize your next conversations. That guidance is distilled from my book, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. You can find that in all of the usual places where fine business books are sold. There's an audiobook version as well that you can find on Audible and Apple. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, and you can also find my direct email and phone number on the website. We bring all of this together for you because, simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Our guest today is a three-time visitor to the Manager Message podcast. Tim Pollard is the founder and CEO of Aradium, a consulting and training company that works with clients for executive sales and donor messaging. His clients include Cisco, LinkedIn, Disney, IBM, Salesforce. He is the author of two best-selling books, The Compelling Communicator, Mastering the Art and Science of Exceptional Presentation Design, and also Mastering the Moment, Perfecting the Skills and Processes of Exceptional Presentation Delivery. I'm a big fan of Tim's clarity when it comes to message architecture and this new world of selling and executive communication. Tim and his wife, Ruth, have raised four children, and we are fortunate to momentarily find him away from his teaching consulting, and fly fishing on the Bighorn River in Montana. Here was our conversation. Tim Pollard, it is a great pleasure to welcome you back to the Manage Your Message podcast. You are our first three-time guest. So you must be doing something really well. 
I guess either that or I just wasn't clear enough the first two times. But yeah, <laughs> a pleasure to be back. Thank you so much for the invitation. You're generous with your time. And as I stated in the intro, I'm a fan of your work, the integrity of it, the practicality of it. And I was struck recently by a set of videos that you produced for your firm, Oradium. And it was about the changing nature of a sales conversation in a post pandemic world. And there's certainly been a lot of talk about tactically. And I've had a number of clients, I'm sure you did too, of how do we operate? How do we work Zoom calls? How do we get our lighting ready? And how do we we have disparate teams and it's a big tactically focused conversation sometimes. You say there's more fundamentally some important things going on that we need to adjust for as leaders and as members of selling teams I'm hoping you could review that a little bit and talk about some areas that you think are particularly important for our listeners. I think it's the most fascinating season almost ever to have been working in in sales communications and sales messaging. Certainly what you said is true. When the pandemic hit, everyone suddenly went into the virtual workspace. Everyone was was completely consumed with the tactical pieces of that. You know, how do I use Zoom? How do I use WebEx? How do I mute? How do I share documents? And that was important. But I think that completely, completely fails to understand what's really going on here. I think it's inevitable in human beings that we focus on the urgent and the tactical. So I understand why that happened. But I think the implications of virtual selling are unbelievably profound. This is going to be a dramatic reset. I think it'll define winners and losers. And it's nothing to do with whether you know how to turn on or, or off Zoom. I think the implications are far more profound and every company is going to really have to wrestle with some very, very big questions. I've seen it in different ways. Uh, one client in particular, and they're accustomed, they deal in software for financial institutions. And they're accustomed to this very linear uh, path of, oh, we need to get a door open for us. And then we need to see if they're interested. And then we need to run the demo. And then we need to have the person for whom we ran the demo talk to other people inside the, the prospect organization and see if we can have another conversation, et cetera, et cetera. We have our process. We have our steps. And we're trying to match the decision-making of the buyers and all that. But the message isn't fitting there very well. Things are going astray for us. What's happening, especially in this post-pandemic world? Yeah, well, firstly, good for any company that has a robust sales process. They don't all have it. But as you rightly say, the virtual environment begins to reveal some very, very real challenges. Boy, there's a lot, a lot going on in a question like that. When you think about the nature of a sales conversation, the first thing you have to realize, you simply cannot and should not talk to somebody over a Zoom call in the same way you would try and talk to them in a live two-hour meeting. The first thing everyone's noticing is most most companies, not all, meetings are getting shorter. I was talking to the head of sales of Cisco recently, Cisco Systems, and he said, you know, you fly to see a client, two to three-hour meeting, probably lunch before, maybe a drink afterwards, I mean, an extended period. He said, that's now down to a 45-minute Zoom call with a hard stop on both ends. So, one of the first things we need to realize is that the way we structure a message, it just has to have way more discipline in it. We have got to be really on on message, um, linguistic precision, a goofy term. But what I mean by that is you rehearse your way to absolute precision in language. You have no room for error. So one of the first things you've got to do is understand you're getting your arrow through a much 
narrower window from a pure time standpoint. But there's so much more to this than just time because think of it this way. Selling is an inherently social process. It's this very complex and delicate ballet between buyer and, and seller. And what, it, what has happened is it's moved into an environment with a completely different set of social rules and dynamics. And I think I could make an argument that selling will be more affected by that than any other profession. I mean, here we are in April, right? Most of us had someone do our accounts, our taxes, right? You never meet them. It doesn't matter. That can now be virtual. Same, you know, your taxes will still happen. Nothing really changed for a tax account. For a seller, everything changed. And I think you can say there are three fundamental changes in the dynamic of a sales conversation. One is distraction. Customers just cannot resist the temptation, none of us can, to check other pieces of technology while a meeting's going on. Half the people listening to this have already checked another piece of technology in the five minutes we've been talking. You know, shame on them because, in a sense, because that's fracturing their ability to learn. Now, on a podcast, that, that's kind of perhaps less critical, but in a sales conversation, it becomes incredibly critical. So sellers have to learn how to mi uh, minimize and manage the customer distraction that's going to be happening. The second one's really interesting is a loss of mental bandwidth. There are really good studies on this. We know that people have less mental capacity in a virtual environment. You don't become stupid as such. But the focus you have to put in on this tiny little screen with poor quality laptop speakers, the focus is so high that it drains your mental batteries very quickly. And that has two important implications. One, best tip of the day, do not try and have a sales conversation with a customer after 2 p.m. Get your meetings in the morning. Let somebody else try and deal with the, the Zoom fatigue curve. That's very tactical. The other thing you've got to do is you've got to take whatever you thought was your boundaries of simplicity, in other words, making your message simple, and you've got to completely redefine them. You have to go for extraordinary clarity and simplicity in the message, not just because you have less time, although that is one important driver, but because the customer has less bandwidth. So you've got to simplify in a very elegant way. You're not going to dumb it down, but you're trying to fit something through a much, much narrower window. And the third huge change in social dynamic, which is the most interesting to me, it's not the most important necessarily, but it's the most interesting, is that selling, as I said, is this very uh, complex ballet, this interaction between buyer and seller. And success in selling has always required that the seller can both read and respond to the cues that the customer is sending them. You know, I might be talking to a buyer and they're distinctly skeptical or shaking their head or they're not buying into an argument. And a good seller, of course, doesn't just read that, but they respond to it. Like, Jim, you don't look as though you agree with my point there. What's going on? And they're going to draw them out and they're going to deal with it, or at least they have the chance to deal with it. The problem with the virtual sale is it's a very sterile environment and you get a, a huge drop off and sometimes a complete absence of those social cues. And as anyone knows, monologues are where sales go to die. Again, I think that has a tactical and a, and a strategic response one is you better you sure as heck better get away from powerpoint you put a bunch of slides on the screen and just narrate them with no really strong face-to-face -face connection you're going to be in real trouble i mean a that will guarantee that the customer will check another piece of technology so you're going to dial up the distraction problem but also you're going to have a tremendous loss of feedback a really good working rule that we've established is no more than one third of the time 
should you have something on screen that's not your face? So by all means, show a slide or two, a graphic, an image, a chart, a worksheet. It doesn't matter. Fine. But get rid of it. If you're just narrating slides, you have, you've killed the social interactivity. So those are perhaps three of the, the biggest dynamics. If I just go back to the middle one, the simplicity one, it isn't just keep it incredibly simple. You want to have a very elegant linear structure so the customer can follow the argument. Like, I see where this is going. You've talked about my problem, how serious it is. You've talked about how to solve it, how that solution gets deployed, what the return on investment will be for me. You want to create a very logical narrative. And that ties to something else you asked me about, which is retellability. In the virtual world, what you know is retellability gets harder. The retellability is simply the the facet of a sales message that the person you presented it to can retell it. As you've heard me say many times, the the important meeting is never the one you're in. It's always the one that you're not in, where the customer is going to debate between potential providers and choose one. And the person who's your advocate is going to have to retell your story. Well, if you have some bloated garbage PowerPoint, yeah, you might have got them to a point of understanding because you kind of navigated around that message's weaknesses, but you've left that person high and dry. So another good reason not to use PowerPoint, build a really great crisp document, work through it in the first meeting, and make sure they have a digital or physical copy of that document in order to effectively retell your story. One of the most important ideas we've developed in the last year it's a trick question, which is, is it the job of a sales message to persuade? Yes, of course it is. Absolutely. Trick question. Is that its only job? No. It is equally important that your sales message equips. So you've got to think of a message as persuade and equip. I might persuade you, Jim, but if I fail to equip you, you're going to be very hamstrung in that second meeting. Whereas if you, if I've equipped you with a brilliant message that's easy to retell, that will shine relative to your competitors in that second meeting. And of course, that retellability meeting now is often virtual. So you've got to think completely differently. We, we help all of our clients think not only about the persuasive message, but how do you build a message to equip for those subsequent meetings, most or many of which will remain virtual. So you've just got a much tougher challenge as the sales message flows through the customer organization. So it's a great question. It's a very long answer. I apologize. But there is a lot there. And I would say to all of those points, Tim, where you would have people who maybe they've had success as a seller, as a sales leader, but they would say things like, I'm really good in the moment, or I can read the room, or we just need, we have a really strong capabilities presentation. Oh, I hate that term, but we have a really strong presentation or our compelling company story and our mission and all of that, if you're leaning on those as a crutch, I would say, first of all, you are probably kidding yourself up until now and going forward, none of those things will equip you or your team to really succeed in this new environment. And I would, and also underscore your point, because one of the things that I talk about is building messengers And how do you equip a messenger who is inside the buying organization, who's part of the prospect organization in what they need to retell your story? Yeah, you're touching on some great themes there. The first one you've touched on there is really interesting to me. I think it's traditionally true that sellers would often 
undervalue a sales meeting. What, what I mean by that is they wouldn't see it as just this absolutely precious diamond. So they would go in ill-prepared. And, and you might think, well, how would you ever undervalue it? Two or three ways. You go in relatively unprepared. You go in just as you said, I'm really good on my feet. We'll have a little chat, do a little bit of discovery. Hey, what's keeping you up at night? You know, garbage questions like that. The customer no longer has time for. You know, See what the low-hanging fruit is and grab it. That's a really typical and traditional view of sales. I mean, it was already outdated and ineffective before COVID happened, but you just don't have the luxury in a tightly constrained selling conversation, 45 minutes, distracted, harried customer. You don't, you've got to see meetings as unbelievably precious, unbelievably precious. They are, you know, you cannot go in unprepared. You cannot go in not knowing what the customer's problem is and what solution you want to bring to the table. Using a, a sales meeting today for discovery is madness. You've got to have done that ahead of time and go and say, Jim, hey, I know you're super busy. Let's chat about a problem that we're aware of that's really circulating in your world and that you probably have. And let's show you how we can solve that. The idea is you lead with a hypothesis, not lead with a question. Now, yes, ask questions into the hypothesis. You know, so, Jim, as you look at that problem, how is that showing up in your world? So ask the question into the hypothesis, but don't ask questions to create a hypothesis. Hey, what's keeping you up at night? You just don't have the luxury for that. So I think one of the first things we're seeing here is sellers have to view meetings as extraordinarily valuable. A lot of companies are having finding meetings are harder to get particularly true in some weird places like pharmaceuticals. And they're shorter and they're more distracted. So you've got to see this meeting as something you've got to really focus on. Good example is rehearsal. Most sellers, the good ones actually have always rehearsed because they understand the power of language and the importance of precision in language, the importance of precision in language. Average sellers have always kind of winged it, and that's very dangerous. Your, your mind will not create perfect language in the moment. In the virtual environment, though, that becomes exponentially more important. I've got a very small window into which I need to fit my argument. I don't get to fumble around linguistically. So, so here are some things you would do differently. Better customer research, more well-developed hypotheses, better rehearsal around language to value that meeting more. And then, as you said, everything you're doing, your second point, has to be geared towards that retailability, towards the equipping the customer to not only understand your story, but to carry that story forward. And one of the other big things I think that's changed because of that is you want to think about much more robust documents, documentation of the conversation. If you assume that the meeting is going to be more limited, more constrained, then the document now carries a disproportionately higher load. And we work with clients. We build these really nice, very simple bifolds or quad folds is four panel documents whether digital or, or physical and the argument is elegantly laid out there no cheesy language just very professional but quite a lot of text enough to carry the argument so much so that i could literally hand it to you and you could almost perfectly recreate the conversation later so again just so many ways in which the selling world is being turned completely upside down these are these are big changes the, the old skill of kind of being good in the moment, I'm good at just winging it, spotting the low-hanging fruit and grabbing it. I think that was already outdated in a pre-COVID world, but it's there's literally no room for it today. Agreed. And as we transition a bit, there's one other big topic that I wanted to touch upon with you, Tim, uh, while we have a few moments here. We've talked about the world of the seller and the sales leader and the changing nature of that conversation. 
new imperatives there. You also deal a lot in what you may call executive level communication. So it's beyond just a selling conversation. And you think about whether that person is a an entrepreneur, a general manager, a regional manager, a C-suite executive, whatever the case may be. There has been this, I think the term is, is ludicrous <laughs> for these days, but communication is a nice soft skill that executives should have. I think it's foundational and fundamental, and it's where executives tend to be ineffective is because of that. But I've been observing a lot more closely these days of what I find that particularly effective leaders do with their messaging, with their conversations, whether they're with the board, whether they're with employees, whether they're with partners or community leaders that happens in different directions. But the things that distinguish effective executives because of the power of their communication, because of their messaging, I know this is a spot ripe for us to discuss at great length, but to touch on some of the things that you're observing and maybe teaching yeah. that executives can do regardless of, of their particular position and maybe some good examples. Yeah. Oh, it's such an interesting topic. Yeah. About a third of what we do is advanced executive communication skills training. And again, companies like you know Disney or Cisco or others. I think there's probably two big things to say there. One is I'm really glad you started where you did. It's madness to think communication is a soft skill. There's actually this really odd intellectual disconnect. We talk about a soft skill, which is literally consigning communication to the trash bin, right? It can't be that important. And yet we can look back in history and say, well, a huge amount of someone's uh, effectiveness, whether political, you know, Churchill or, or Kennedy or business, you know, Steve Jobs, Barack Obama, to some extent, in the politi recent political realm, tied to their communications effectiveness. So we see a one-to-one -one connection between good communication and effectiveness, and yet we still somehow think it's a soft skill. It's madness. I think what perhaps is finally getting people to realize how important this is, is the climate in which we're living now. I want to stay away from any overly sensitive topics, but if you're a senior leader, within the last 12 to 18 months, you have had to take a position on sexual justice, the Me Too movement, racial justice, George Floyd, you know, COVID policies, layoffs. We, we live in an environment today with almost a uniquely complex set of very sensitive issues. And there have been, as you well know, there have been CEOs who have made very unwise pronouncements and got in big trouble for them and had to walk them back. And there have been others that have made very wise pronouncements. Just take a very current example. I mean, we might as well name it. You know, Georgia has a controversial law about voter registration or voter suppression, if you want to go there. But, but now you've got companies, anyone based in and around the Atlanta area, now sort of has to take a position on this. Like if you're Coke, I mean, we're in a very, very complex world for executive communication, you get it wrong, it can go very, very bad on you. So I hope we're well past the nonsense of soft skill, because one poorly chosen word or speech from a CEO can lead to full on boycotts. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So it's important, <laughs> period. When you look at effectiveness, I think there is some really interesting lessons there. Effective communicators are effective because they do certain things right, obviously, 
But what's really interesting is it's not the things most people think you need to get right. It has literally nothing to do with eye contact and body language. And there is still an industry out there teaching you, you know, the power of body language and power posing. I'm like, give me a break. You never once walked away from a speech or a major speech or any presentation. So oh, that was amazing. The posing was phenomenal. You know, what great communicators do, I mean, I could literally wrote, a, I literally did write a book about this. What great communicators do, I think we boil down to three or four things. Number one is they really do have a somewhat fanatical attention to detail. It's because they understand how important communication is. Steve Jobs is a great example. Before any of those product launch meetings, I mean, he'd be there days before literally moving the stage, having them move the light, just reposition the light by one degree to get the lighting right. I mean, you would tend to only have that true obsession to detail for a very high stakes presentation, but they never underestimate the importance of getting the details right. I mean, I mean, in previous era, but look at Churchill, the number of rights and rewrites of a of a script. So I think great communicators respect the, the importance of communication and how easy it is for it to go wrong. And so they really do sweat the details. I think the Churchill illustration, but also Steve Jobs, the same, probably points to the second thing they do, and this is probably the biggest, is they fundamentally understand one thing, that substance is everything and style is almost nothing. If I was going to put, you know, 100 pennies against substance, the intellectual, architectural construction of the message, and then its delivery, that I would assign about 80-20. I would say about 70 to 80% of the value of communication when it goes well or when it goes badly all comes back to its architectural structure. And you know this. If you hate a presentation, you'll be, oh, my word, what was that, 100 slides? I got totally lost. I mean, what are you talking about? You're talking about architectural construction, quantity, sequence, linearity, illustration. And I think great communicators inherently understand that it's the structure of the message, not the style of the delivery that matters. So hence, Churchill agonizing over even, I mean, individual words. I remember reading, uh, I was looking at a speech he wrote, and he rewrote one word several times. He was talking about Hitler's plans to invade Britain right around the time of Dunkirk, and, and he was talking about his grand plan to invade Britain. And at last, or in his iterations, he said, his grandiose plan. And it was very interesting that he would make that change because grand has a very simple meaning, his big plan, but grandiose contained within it the connotation of Hitler overreaching, being foolishly ambitious. He goes, Hitler has this grandiose plan. In other words, he's mocking Hitler. And the word grand wouldn't have done that, but the word grandiose did. And it's just one tiny example of how important it is to get your message precisely correct. There is always a perfect phrase. There might be a thousand ways of saying something, a few ways of saying it well, a very few ways of saying it really well, and there may only be one way of getting it precisely right. So I think that the big thing great communicators do is they understand the importance of the architecture of a message. I mean, in selling, that's about understanding and anchoring it first in the customer problem, unpacking the problem so the customer can see how important it is and how it's hurting them in more ways than they realize. Developing a narrative around a solution, illustrating clearly how that solution will solve each of those problems, and then deconstructing that into, what, well, how easy then is that solution to deploy? And what is its ROI? And how do we get started? Great narrative drives great communication. Now, is it still important to deliver it well? Yes. That's why I wouldn't give it zero pennies 
But I, I, I give you then, I think, the third big thing, and I've already said it, so I won't repeat it. It's linguistic precision. It's making sure that message you've designed comes across in exactly the way you intended it. There'd be no point Churchill scripting the word grandiose and then winging it on the day and saying something different. So what I love in a great communicator is those three things. They take it seriously. They structure their message very, very carefully, honoring and respecting the importance of that. And then their delivery focuses on precision, that that is the thing they had planned to say is what they actually did say. A lot of times people miss that third one. They, they actually do potentially plan quite well, but then they kind of get panicked and flustered in the meeting and something completely different comes out of their mouth. We've all done that and it's, it's agonizing. So again, great. And Tim, I would also offer just the timeliness of all this from an executive communication perspective. You mentioned a couple of things that I just want to underscore here. The first is I think back on this podcast, we spoke uh, a number of months back to Bill Bolding, who's the dean of Duke's MBA program, the Fuqua School of Business. And we were talking about the voice of a, of a corporation toward social and community issues. And as he, I'm paraphrasing here, but what Bill said, look, if you're not saying something, then you're saying, you're saying something. something. The, the, yeah. the absence of your voice in things that are on people's minds uh, says something about you as a leader and about the organization. So you have to engage, but do so in the right way. The other is, you know, with pandemic, it has disrupted our internal organizations. We're not meeting together. We're not getting together. We're disparate and we're separated physically and emotionally from our very teams in ways that we weren't before. I think it, it creates even more of a vacuum and an imperative for that executive to be out in front with the right message and the right time. So I would definitely say we can always say, oh, well, you know, sure, good communication skills would be great for an executive to have. I'd say, now. Now oh, yeah. is the time to address it, even if you've been putting it off. Yeah, I've never believed it's a soft skill. I think that's complete madness. If that's something I could strike from history, I would. But so much, it's always been critical, but so much more so now. We're a small company. When the pandemic hit, everyone in our company, implicitly or explicitly, had one question, which is, if business slows down, am I going to lose my job? I can't be silent at that moment. Very early, I went out to the company. I said, we are going to do whatever we need to do to make sure no one loses their job. We started with voluntary pay cuts. Two-thirds of the company took more than a 10% voluntary pay cut, and our senior leaders took a lot more. And then we had two rough months, then business bounced back. In the second rough month, I said, I don't think we can get quite there with voluntary, so we applied across the board. But I'm just communicating very deliberately. And I said, but the reason we're doing this is we will not lay anybody off. I guarantee that. And that's exactly what happened. Through the pandemic, we didn't lose anybody. A couple of people, one person actually left, but more because they had a, a new opportunity and it was not a bad time for them. It was very different. Uh, that was different what had actually happened there. And as you say, we lost all of that social connection by meeting at client meetings. We weren't doing those anymore. So we instituted at the beginning sort of biweekly all company meetings. And the golden rule for a leader is you really never get punished for over-communicating. People never say, oh, I hate this place. They communicate too much. But people feeling in the dark can be incredibly difficult if they're facing maybe a job loss. But they also want to know, what is our company's position on sexual harassment? What's our company's position on the Georgia voting situation if we're a Georgia-based company? You can't under-communicate. I love what you said, but I hadn't thought of that. But it's brilliant. If you're not saying anything, you're absolutely saying something. I mean, people, even if it was only a few days, waiting for us to talk about 
would layoffs happen if things got rough? That would be a very painful few days. And we're, you know, that silence screams loudly, as you say. That's really interesting. Tim Pollard, as always, it's such an enlightening and challenging and empowering conversation with you. I'll give you just a moment if you would uh, remind us about your books, which, by the way, I can highly recommend. They're very good, as well as the work that you do and how we can track with you and Aradium. Yeah, that's so kind. Um, you know, the, the thing we started by talking about, I think, is I'm really proud of this thing we built. We did this white paper called The Seven Ways COVID Changed Sales Forever. It's broken into three big buckets. One, we did not talk about change to the sales model, permanent changes to the sales meeting, changes to the sales message. That's a really good white paper, and it's three films. They're like three 12-minute films that track with that structure. They're free. There's no charge for any of them. If you go to our website, which is just aratium.com, O-R-A-T-I-U-M, aratium.com, and just scroll down to sort of the new and noteworthy, you can watch the films, you can download the white paper. I'd strongly encourage people to do that and watch it actively. What I would do is I would get a few people together because it doesn't mean anything until you discuss it. Are we responding? Firstly, will we see these forces in our business? Some companies are finding it easier to get sales meetings. Most are finding it harder. So the question, the two questions you would want to ask is across these seven forces, are we seeing this force? And then two, what are we going to do about it? And obviously, we're, we're there to help, particularly on the, the sales meeting, sales message piece. We're helping a lot of clients with this. And then the books, you can see there as well, two books, one on message design and one on message delivery. The first one, I think, is probably the one I point people to, the, the compelling communicator. Uh, but I think actually an interesting place to start is that seven ways piece that also on our website is, I think, a very good 40-minute, I think, uh, webinar. Again, it's just free. You can just watch it on how do you sell in a virtual environment? What is an effective virtual sales conversation? It gets into some of those social dynamics and how you respond. So again, that's just aratium.com and there's a bunch of, uh, of free resources there. And then we can obviously follow up with anyone as, as needed. We will certainly include those links here uh, with the episode notes and we will track along with you and Tim Pollard. I can't wait until the next conversation we have. Can I be the first ever for Peter? Who knows? So great. Jim, thanks. You have an inside lane right now. <laughs> I love talking to you. It's, it's kind of a kindred spirit here on the importance of communication. Not only that it's important, but, but what getting it right looks like. So thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate doing this. Thank you, Tim. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If so, then please share it with friends and colleagues who likewise would find this valuable. And please do subscribe, rate, and review. That is a big deal in the podcast world that will help others to be able to find us. We'll have summaries and links in the show description. Plus, you can find more resources at manageyourmessagepodcast.com or jimcar.com. And if you know of associations or companies that would benefit from having me speak with them about ways to manage their message, then please put us in touch. My email is jim at jimcar.com. Until next time, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at manageyourmessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.